That was terrific. That guy's voice really gets me. I love that low voice. It's hard to describe that band to somebody else. They have to come hear them. You know what I mean? You can say it's a quartet, and they're going to think barbershop or something, you know? And I was in Reeds, out in Reedsville yesterday, and I heard a lady tell me that she'll be here. She didn't go to our church, but she's coming to the concert. And she's, she was here last year, so we talked for just a quick second, but she had the same uh, identity of this group that I have, that it's kind of indescribable until you hear them because their voices are so amazing. And when you hear that guy with that low baritone voice, I mean, it just, it kind of grabs you inside. I mean, I'm hungry anyways. I, fear, I feel the hunger pains, but it still rumbles in my stomach, you know, when I hear him. Terrific group. I am really looking forward to March 26. I hope you are too. I look forward to seeing everybody. Hey, we're finishing up uh, Philippians today. And I just want to say something real quick before I go into this, just real quick. If God ever calls me to a church that's been so devastated by division or so devastated by poor leadership or where the congregants have just turned on each other and this church is about to just close its doors, um, of course the weapon I would use is the Word of God, but I am telling you the ammunition would be the book of Philippians. This is what I would preach to a church that is drowning, that is about to shut down, that is about to close its doors, is this book. And there's a huge reason why. And as we finish it up today, I think you're going to see it. Um, there was a movement uh, in the 17th and 18th centuries, it was predominantly in those two centuries, um, called deism. And maybe you've heard of deism. Um, it's not as widespread anymore, but people still hold deistic views. And here's what the view holds. Yes, God does exist, that's true, but he is not directly involved with his creation. So he exists, he created the world, but he does not intervene or interfere with his creation. Um, kind of paints a picture of an uncaring God, an uninvolved God. And we know that to be not true, especially when we read our text today. But people look at deism as God creating a clock, winding that clock up, letting it go, and just walking away. And that's the end of it. So I want everybody to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. You're probably already there. We're going to concentrate on these last grouping of verses here, 10 through 23, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
to God, excuse me, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with, uh, with me, greet you, all the saints, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, we're going to be talking about three things today that God provides for us, and it was on the front of your bulletin. We're going to be looking at his provision and providence, his provision and power, and his provision and his promises. So God's providence is his governance and direction of all things in the universe. The providence is guided by his wisdom, it's guided by his love, and it's guided by his care. He is in complete control of all things. And through this providence, God accomplishes his sovereign will. Now, the Philippian believers are a great example of God's providence on display. The Philippian concern, excuse me, the Philippians' concern was revived for Paul in the opportunity that led Epaphroditus to bring those gifts, to bring that supply uh, that Paul needed. But Paul regards this as something else. He regards this as the Lord, the Lord as the source of this revived concern. He regards this uh, as from the Lord, him being the source, the kindness that these people had for him in service. His gratitude in all this led his joyous heart in rejoicing to God. The Bible says that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I like that sentence. He rejoiced in the Lord greatly. See, Paul is not saying that they were not concerned about him. He's also not saying that they had forgotten him. They just had not yet had the opportunity to get to Paul to supply him. This church, we know, was partners in the gospel. They were partners in Paul's imprisonment. And his joy is bound up with this reviving concern and this shared mindset of these believers. They had this shared mindset for him. Paul had this very same mindset for them too. If I look all the way back, you can turn there if you want, but in Philippians 1.7, at the beginning of this letter, Paul says, hey, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So they are sharing this mindset together, both in love, both on course in God's will and care for each other. See, the Word of God clearly teaches the providential workings of God, both in nature we see it, and in the lives of people. God, uh, providence is God working in advance, right, to arrange circumstances and different situations for the fulfillment of his purposes. So God can work indirectly. Remember that word. God can work indirectly with the laws of nature and in human choices, in the affairs of mankind. But he can also work directly. And what we call it when God works directly, we call that miracles. Um, I really enjoy this story, the story of Joseph, okay, found in Genesis. Um, it further illustrates God's providence. And I'll just summarize. Uh, Joseph's brothers were envious of him, right? They were envious of him and they sold him into slavery, uh, slavery when he was just 17 years old. 
He was taken to Egypt, and there God revealed uh, that there will be seven years of uh, plenty, followed by seven years of um, famine. Excuse me, did I say that right? I think I did. Seven years of famine were coming after seven years of plenty is what I'm saying. The plenty was first, and then there'd be the famine. And the reason he knew this, he discovered this when he interpreted a dream that Pharaoh had. Now, when he interpreted this dream, Joseph rose to like the second highest position in all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And 20 years later, 20 years of separation, his brothers were reconciled to him, and they came to understand what the Lord had done, how he had worked in all this. Can you imagine that length of time, going through all that, and it was the workings of God, it was providence. In fact, Genesis 50.20 says this, Genesis 50.20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, we can also see this in Romans 8.28. In Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And according to his purpose. So we see this in Scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it supports this providence. And I want to read a verse to you because I want to explain it. Uh, there's a verse in Acts 16.7. Acts 16.7. I want to read it to you, then I'm going to explain it. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So what we have here, the reason I wanted to include this verse, is see, Paul wanted to go to Asia. He was heading to Asia to minister. But see, God had other plans for Paul. Through providence, through his guidance, Paul was redirected to Europe. And the very first church that he founded on European soil was this church, Philippi, who would become partners with him in, his, uh, in the gospel, partners in his ministry, partners in his imprisonment. These two would feed off each other with a shared mindset. This was all part of God's providential plan. So we see that Paul was redirected to Philippi. See, God's work, his plans, his purposes, right, they all can be seen in the letters written by Paul. They can be seen in his missionary journeys. They can be seen in his life. If God, and listen to this, if God is not in complete control, then all his promises for us are in doubt. You hear that? If God is not in complete control, then all his promises, even for the future, even for the future, then how can our salvation be guaranteed if we do not have a sovereign God that's in control? See, we have to think like that. People will tell you otherwise. Well, no, this is, it's because of me. It's my effort. Or it's because of something else or some other entity. No, this is by God and God alone that our salvation is guaranteed. So, Philippians 1.6, in the very beginning of this letter, says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul would not have said this if he was in doubt or being insincere. He's telling them, our God is going to bring you and all of this to completion. We will see that at the day of Jesus. Paul was never a victim of his circumstances. He had learned through experience, a secret. 
No matter the situation, Paul was able to be content, to exercise contentment. And the Bible tells us whether he was facing plenty or facing hunger, contentment. Whether he was knowing abundance or knowing need, contentment. Because this was God's power. Everybody look at verse 13. What is this wonderful, wonderful secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 12 starts to set it up, right? I learned the secret of facing plenty. And we get interested. Ooh, what's the secret? What's the secret? And then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We must remember that God works in us first before he can work through us. And we are not dependent on our own power. And thank you for that, God. We're not dependent on our own power, but in his strength. See, Paul has not only the submissive mind, and not only does Paul have the single secure mind, right, in God's focus, but he has a truly secure mind in the fact that he alone can tap into the strength and power of God. And that's where he looks. Paul's secret, learned through these abundant experiences in his life, was not reliance on his own resolve in mind and not on his own resolve in body, but drawing strength from Jesus Christ. Paul knew whose arm he was leaning on. He knew who it was that held him up so that he could confidently face any trial, face any adversity. He knew that he would be able to perform in his ministry anything that was required him, not because of self-reliance, not because of self-empowerment, but Paul knew full well where his strength came from. I'm telling you right now, some of us, we try to do things on our own. Well, I'm not going to bother God. I'm going to handle this. We try in everything. We need to include God in our life. Every nook and cranny of our life should be included in God. And this is what Paul did. There was nothing about self-empowerment. He knew full well where his strength came from. We can see this in the vine and the branches. This is the thing that really brought it home for me in John 15. Let me explain. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. A branch is good only for bearing fruit. If it doesn't, we discard it. We throw that branch away. The branch does not bear fruit through its own self-effort, though. A branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself. No, it has to draw its life from the vine. The branch has to draw its life from the vine. So John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you think you can do something apart from God, Scripture tells you you cannot. It is his strength. This is what Paul knew. This was the secret. Okay? So Paul is fulfilling the Great Commission. He is carrying his commission out with power and the presence of Christ in his life. You know, the reason that Paul can do all things through Christ is because Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Christ has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And this is why Paul can do all things through Christ. Now, there is his power. And we know that Jesus is always with Paul. There is his presence. 
And this power and presence, right, both of these encompass the whole range of human existence that Paul came to know. His life is surrounded and encompassed by this whole spectrum of Christ, this presence, this strength. You know, there is nowhere Paul could go, nowhere where he could uh, escape the personal experiences that could ever take him beyond, beyond the loving, empowering embrace of Christ. Paul could do nothing And he could experience nothing personally that could ever take him beyond the embracing love of Christ. Paul knew this. Therefore, Paul's contentment is a constant due to the secret that he has learned. So in the broad scope of all things, whether we're talking about hardships, whether we're talking about prosperity, he knows what it is to be brought low, and he knows what it is to abound. So I want to say it again. Paul could go and uh, do nothing without the embracing power of Christ in his life. And he knew that. No matter what he experienced, no matter where he traveled, the presence and power of Christ were with Paul. And this is what he wants to share with the Philippian believers. And this is a constant. But however, i got to say this, however, this strength should not be interpreted as a license to do anything. Right? You are not going to get God's strength to sin against him or for a worldly achievement. God's not strengthening you for anything like that. No, the secret is one completely wrapped up in Christ. In fact, this verse has no content apart from Christ and his empowering strength and presence. No part. You know, we must be careful, too, for something else. I wasn't sure I was going to go here, but we have to be careful sometimes about prosperity. Uh, Prosperity sometimes can do more damage than adversity. Uh, We have a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that are what we call prosperity preachers, prosperity preaching. And it scares me that people uh, buy fully into this. Yes, God prospers us, but prosperity, prosperity can be dangerous. I want you to think about the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. Uh, Just a little background. They had it made. (laughs) Let me just... I'll talk slang. They had it made. It was like Fortune 500 companies in Laodicea, and they were prosperous. And their eyes, they lost their focus. They became directed more. We're doing all right. I'm pretty good. You pretty good? Yeah, we're we're pretty successful. We're prospering. They took their eyes off Jesus, and they began to place their eyes on themselves because they were prospering. But Revelations 3.17 says this. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Contentment in both adversity and prosperity should reflect the presence of God in one's life. Whether it's prosperity, whether it's adversity, still the reflection of God should be in one's life. For others to see. We are that light. We have got to remember that we stand out. And then I want to take it back to Scripture. Rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Rejoicing greatly in the Lord. See, the single-minded focus of the source of this provision in both strength and providence is found in Jesus. There is the source. If we take our eyes off that focus, off that source, we're left to our own. 
And this is where we fall. The presence and power of Jesus. So remember that. Both adversity and prosperity. Let God shine and be reflected in your life. So these are two spiritual resources which we can draw from that help us in everyday tasks of life. And this is what this sermon's all about. The everyday tasks of life. This is what it's for. These resources made Paul sufficient for every demand of life, and these same resources can make us sufficient too. For Paul, contentment is not circumstantial, no matter the amount or lack of material provisions. Whether he's in plenty or he's in great need, it's not circumstantial. His contentment in Christ remains a constant, and this is why Paul says... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is where it comes from. So we have provision in his providence in our lives. I call them stepping stones. I'll go over that in a minute. And then we have provision and power. But now let's talk about his promises. You know, Paul is grateful for the gift that the believers in Philippi have supplied. Grateful. However, Paul sees it as more than a gift simply uh, supplied by his church. More than a gift. He sees it as a need met from God. uh, In fact, you know what? Paul had peace in his heart when it came to his personal needs because he knew that God promised to supply them all. So he had this beautiful peace in his heart. He goes on to tell them that the meaning of their gift is far more important to him than the gift itself. Here we can see that Paul is actually looking out for their interest again. If you look at verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, we've read this previously, it says, do nothing from selfish uh, selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, Paul is seeing the increase to their heavenly account. He's seeing this in them. The treasures that they are laying up in heaven, their reward is growing. He sees this increase. And he's so grateful to God for this reward that these beautiful believers are going to receive. He is looking out for their interests as well. And what a blessing. What a blessing to realize that our gifts are looked upon um, as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. You ever thought about that? Our gifts are like spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And it takes us back to kind of that whole where Paul talks about a fragrant, fragrant offering. Now, in here, he's using Old Testament imagery. Um, and for the, the Old Testament imagery of a, the sacrificial system in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament, excuse me. So what's happening here is God laid out instructions. An acceptable sacrifice was, was offered in accordance with the instructions that God laid out for the Israelites, okay? As he laid these out, they would follow through in these Old Testament sacrifices. And it was a, a fragrant aroma when it was done properly. It was well-pleasing to God. So Paul wants the Philippian believers to see what their gift means to both him and being well-supplied and to God as pleasing. See, Paul believed in the providence of God, 
that God was in control of all events, that he was in control of all situations, and that he was able to meet every need. Paul knew this because of the experiences in his life. And he states in verse 18 that he is well supplied. He says, and now he wants the believers in Philippi to know that they are well supplied. And what does he say? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, you've met my need, but God is going to meet every need. See, this promise goes beyond the financial or the material. It's every need. Our God is the one who loves to give gifts to his children. In Matthew 7.11, Matthew 7.11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to to those who ask him. Think about that. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will our heavenly Father who is in heaven give things to those who ask him? It's true. The Philippian believers gave out of what they had for Paul in their participation in the gospel. They gave out of what they had for their participation with him in his imprisonment. What they had. They met a need that he had. And, but Paul is saying that God's going to meet all of their needs through his riches and glory. See, the promise, we're back to the promise here, the promise of God's generosity is grounded in the gospel. In fact, if we look at 2 Corinthians 8-9, it says this, 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Again, there's a verse here in Romans, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Please do not dismiss the content. Do not dismiss the content of our text here. Every need is supplied when we are walking in his will, when we are walking according to his purposes, when our lives are lined up with those. This is where every need is met. But this is something you got to remember too. This doesn't mean that we will not experience times of need. It's not always going to be prosperous. No, there will be experiences of times of need. But with our learned secret, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. If we look at Paul and see why his contentment in his life is a constant, whether he is in need or whether he abounds, the reason he can be that way is because God and his providence and his power and his promises are a constant in Paul's life. You may be thinking, well, I believe it, I believe it, but, but, but listen, are you grasping the resources of providence, power, and promise, uh, and, and power? Are you grasping those and applying those to your life? I had to do it this week, and I was really ashamed. About five minutes of shame when I realized, oh my goodness, Mark Tanner, you are not applying this gospel thinking to this situation. It was a slap in the face. And of course, I prayed about it, and then I applied it, and I like it. I like the peace that I received. But even... As a pastor who's studying the message, it's difficult to take time to say, God, you know what? Why am I trying to do all of this by my own strength and power? When you've promised me I can give this over to you, 
And this is why Paul was so content, because providence, power, and promises were a constant in his life. 2 Corinthians, same book, verses 9-8. 2 Corinthians 9-8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficient Good work. Our God does not play around. He has covered everything there. Do you see how many times we read the word all? Our resources, the resources we draw from, are the providence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. His riches are inexhaustible for you. I don't know if you've thought about that. His riches are inexhaustible for you. His promises, right? His power, these resources, they are unlimited to you. So if our loving and gracious God gave up his own son for us, how can we not trust him then to give us everything we need? Look at our lives real quick. I told you a minute ago where I saw providence as stepping stones. It's easy to look back to see where we've come from to the point you're at right now. And it's very easy for me to go, yep, there's God, okay, there was God, uh, and there was God. Actually, God was throughout the whole thing, but it's easy to see these beautiful stepping stones in a garden. You move forward, you continue forward, right, on these stones. Every stone represents something else where God has directed and intervened in our lives to bring us to this place. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying look back at your past. What I'm saying is look where we've come. Look where we've come through the providence of God. I know that we all lived as sinners at one time and we were in opposition to God, yet he cared for you so much and loved for you so much with his plans and providence in place brought you to him. Am I right? Yes, amen. (laughs) If our God, through his provision of promise, will supply every need according to his riches and glory, and this in his provision of providence, right, his sovereign will, then yes, we can do all things through him who strengthened us. Why? Because of his provision and power. Here is the secret. The secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If we will remember that and we will apply that to the everyday tasks of life, you are going to experience a peace and this newness of life that regenerates you. And this is what Paul felt daily. This is what he drew from, and this is what we need to draw from. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you. We're so grateful to you, Lord, that it's all about you. Father, you've looked out for us before we were ever even born. You knew the plans. You knew our steps. Father, your providence is seen in our lives. It's seen that we're all sitting here today on this service. Father, we also know that your power is everything. We try to apply our power, but we know in truth it's all about the power you give us. We tap into yours. Father, it's your strength that carries us through adversity. It's your strength that carries us through trials. It's your strength, Father, when we suffer greatly. But it's also your strength, Father, when we prosper. And we always have to remember that beautiful focus on you, whether it's adversity or prosperity, Focus on you and the promises, Lord, the promises you make for us and you've, you've given us. We, we are the most blessed people on this planet. 
to know you, to know what's in store for us because of you, to know what's in store for us because of what you've done. Lord, when we look at the promises you've made throughout history and the promises you've made to us now, guaranteed, Lord, we can't help but rejoice greatly in the Lord. We can't help but rejoice, Father, because we know your promises stand true. We know that you are sovereign and control of everything, even every part of our life. So, Father, let us embrace this relationship with you. Let us, Father, embrace the fact that you offer this strength to us. You strengthen us, Father. You provide for us constantly in your providence, in your power, and in your promises. Let us, Father, always remember these things as we face the daily tasks of life. The things that we have to face daily. Father God, we ask that you walk with us in every single one of those. Lord, let us become content like Paul. What a beautiful display of contentment. Whether we're in need or we abound, Father, let us abound in contentment because of the strength you give us. Let us never forget, Father, that you are always there for us to lean on. We are always there for us to even lift us and carry us. Sometimes we try to just to do all of it on our own, and you don't call us to that. You call us to you. So, Father, I pray for every heart here today, Lord, that we begin to embrace the beauty of your provision for us in all things. Strengthen us, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.